This episode of the Boardroom Podcast brought to you by theboardsource.com. Premium, hard-to-find, exclusive, high-quality used surfboards. New ones, too. Check them out, theboardsource.com, the website updated daily. I first met Christian Beamish while he was working at the Surfer's Journal. He struck me then, as he does now, as intelligent and passionate about surfing in the ocean. There's a rather trite phrase, he's an old soul, and I believe it rings true here. I mean, old souls build boats and sail them alone in search of waves and something else. They're lone wolves. They gravitate toward the intellectual side of life. They're spiritually inclined and reflective. Not necessarily materialistic. And they have a sort of watchful patience seeing things from the 30,000 feet level. It seems to me, just from my preliminary engagement with him over the years, that Christian Beamish has an outlook on life that's slightly different and perhaps more worldly than many of us. He's a father, a husband, a boat builder, a surfboard shaper, a writer, and of course, a surfer. The Boardroom Podcast with Christian Beamish. Let us begin. Yeah, the Boardroom Podcast with Christian Beamish, Christian uh, father of two, husband of one, shaper of many, boat builder of two, one and a half? One and uh, a concept, you know, one and a dream. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. Um, And writer and, of course, surfer. Um, I like to start the, the... discourse with something sort of out of left field i'm ready i hope the hope is you're not ready (laughs) no okay so when was the last time you cried do you know i was just talking with my colleague at the uh at the newspaper i work in in carpinteria and uh she was talking about how she hears things on the radio that make her cry all the time and uh you know I realize that I feel that pretty regularly, um, you know, not like cascading tears, boo hoo hoo, but you know, moved and I feel it getting moist, you know, up in the old portals. Um, and yeah, so I think it was actually just yesterday morning. I heard, uh, a scholar, I wish I could remember his name, um, talking about racism in America and, uh, it moved me because it's a a pain. I think we all got to reckon with and move through and, I don't know quite how to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And it pains me. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was listening to something yesterday, a podcast about Thomas Jefferson and, um, and it was just talking about the, um, 
not the paradox, but I guess the hypocrisy of a guy who wrote, you know, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, who also owned human beings, has sold his ch- couple of his children, I believe. Mm. Like, when you put it in the terms of owned human beings, it's, it's, for me, it's way more direct. I don't know if that affects you. More than, say, like the word slaves or the term slavery. Yeah. That's just kind of like, oh, yeah, slavery, whatever. But then you say but when you owned- say you owned a human being... It kind of hits home. Kind of, yeah. I think uh, one thing that that makes me consider, and I'm not at all kind of trying to justify um, that that dark past, but um, it makes me think that even if someone as great as Thomas Jefferson um, was caught up in slavery, again, I'm not I'm not uh, justifying it, but. I think it goes to show that it was systematic and that systems can be uh, the problem. Well, that thing a little closer. Perfect. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. It's interesting how we judge history and um, relative to our own sort of values and mores now, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's hard to um, sort of supplement ours on top of, you know, 300 years ago. Right. Right, um, but let's let's move right along because you and I we could go down. We could, historical, we, could go down. we might go down a historical. Uh, I, I would interject though. Um, I guess there were people in Thomas Jefferson's time, you know, the Quakers. I don't know the history as thoroughly as I probably should, but uh, there were people who did say no. So yeah. it's not like everyone was doing it. Yeah. So there is that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, you grew up surfing in Newport Beach in Orange County. Yep. What was your fondest memory from growing up and surfing in Orange County? Um, Surfing 54th Street. And, um, you know, it wasn't always the most welcoming place, like a lot of uh, of Southern California in those uh, early, mid-80s days. But um, the talent level was really great. Um, You must remember Smirk. Smirk Mangan is yeah. there, and yeah. uh, and um, John Gothard and of course Danny Kwok and Preston Murray and Jeff Parker and it was really exciting to sort of see that and with Quicksilver being right up the road um, like our heroes came through you'd see Rabbit down there you'd see Richard Cram and uh, I totally blew off the shave ice job I had one day because Richard Cram was surfing and I could not get out of the water because I was in the water with Richard Cram. So um, that scene, I look back on very fondly. And then um, in terms of just my personal uh, moments, I guess, uh, you know, when the Southwest swell combo thing happens in Newport, you're, you're getting tubed. And um, that was pretty profound. And I had some really good friends, great surfers, um, Richie Collins and Todd Miller and uh, Scott Hender, Brad Montgomery and uh, another guy, Eric Lee. And, you know, maybe you make things better in history, but I mean, in your memories, but um, man, those guys were really good surfers and they've all kind of kept on it. I don't know what ever happened to Eric Lee. I've heard he was a special forces guy or something, but he, he was gnarly. That's cool to surf like Tom Carroll, goofy foot, that yeah. kind of mid face hack yeah and and as you know i mean the guys that those guys like gothard look up to were guys like um houston paul houston stam mm-hmm. is that his name paul is it paul? Yeah, yeah yeah and 
Jeff Van Ornum and that sort of crew. Yeah. Were those guys still lingering around when you were surfing in the 80s or were you know, they, well, they moved um, on? Paul had st- – I'm, I'm sh- I don't know if he came in later uh, in Newport Surf and Sport, but I kind of think that it was um, his deal, Newport oh, Surf and Sport. Oh, was and it? Ru- Russell sur- Surfboards was right next door, and so we'd hang out at those shops. Which of those two shops, Russell Surfboards or Newport Surf and Sport, were the – Cooler shop to be uh, hanging out in. R- as a Russell was definitely uh, more down home, and and Newport Surf and Sport was like selling corduroy shorts to the Lido Island moms, you know, right. getting their kids ready for back to school. But right. Russell was like core, you know. Which one did you hang out in, uh, Russell? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, and then um, shoot, I can't even remember. There was the other shop over by Blackies. That's actually where I Surfside Sports. Oh yeah, Surfside. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. Is there a big difference between, because I've, I've, I think I may have surfed Newport once in my life. I, I'm not even sure I know how to get there. I'm not sure I want to. I'm, sure, I'm positive they don't want me there. Is there, what's the difference between like 54th and some of the other streets as you move down the line? Is there a big difference in the wave quality? Um, you know, I remember surfing really good waves in through all the way down, you know, Blackies is its own deal. It's down by the Newport Pier, and it's definitely kind of that longboard, kind of rolly peak, pockety peak thing. And um, that's its own wave. Um, beyond there is the Newport Point, but that's like, you know, southeast swells maybe once or twice a year. But when it's on, everyone knows Newport Point. And way down there is the wedge. But anyway, to get back to those other jetties, like 32nd Street to, to 38th Street, they were all good and punchy it just seems like 54th draws it in a little bit more it's a Mm. little bit bigger um it's definitely the focal point and then um on the south swells it'll run kind of more off 56th street the last jetty and and run left up the beach um Mm. but yeah um, 54th is the focal point so as a young kid in newport beach in the i guess mid 80s Mm -hmm. um you're probably what like 15 16 years old yeah I, i just turned 50 this year um so yeah, I, uh, I graduated high school in '87. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, I'm wondering if if you have a certain surfing sort of value system, or I know you must have a personal value system, things you believe in that are true to your heart, that that are true to your core. Mm-hmm. Did you get any of those from surfing? Where does where do those two things sort of? become congruent yeah. or not um i don't know i I've, i was you know thinking about what i might say today when i was surfing this morning and uh um i'm not sure if i'm kind of a postmodern, meaning like a hybrid of everything or just old school guy um but it seems to me there's two two distinct veins there's the like performance um aggressive side um i think embodied by that newport thing you know uh, my friends up north tell me you know calm down we're not in newport anymore you know i'm like always the guy like oh look at that little inside wedger you know and kind of scrappy um i anymore i'm trying to share a little bit more um which i know you, you have written about and thought about um and it's an interesting thing sharing um, yeah. especially when there's thousands and sharing i don't know how that jives but to get to your uh to your point about um deeper values i feel like and i'm not sure if i'm just kind of inventing this but um 
know what? Actually, I'm going to revise that. I'm not inventing it. I got it from my dad who, uh, who passed away last year. Um, he was 85, um, born in 1932, and he was an L.A. County lifeguard. And uh, admittedly, not much of a surfer. He got run over by the actor Peter Lawford at uh, Malibu and knocked out cold. And his buddy kind of grabbed him out of the surf and it just shook him up. But he was a beautiful body surfer and uh, poetry on a set of skis. And he was an athlete. And uh, more than that, though, uh, a real gentleman. And, uh, and the way he carried himself and the the way he spoke about the surfers of his era um guys like mickey Munoz and uh peter cole and his brother corny um his boss in the la county lifeguards pete peterson um they had a way they had a way of being they were they were polite and uh and gentlemanly and i like to think that uh that's a way that that I could live. Yeah. Book just when I walked in, I didn't see what it was. Yeah, no, my my son's a Sandy, uh, Solana Beach City of Solana oh, Beach wow. lifeguard. Yeah, and I wow. worked for the Del Mar lifeguards. Uh huh. But not as a lifeguard. I was actually a parking enforcement officer. I wrote mm-hmm. parking tickets. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got some funny stories about that, but but this is about you. So um, so your value system comes from your father. So those are just the value systems that we all get from our parents, which are like culturally sort of ingrained, like do the right thing, work hard, blah blah yeah. blah, whatever they are. I'm sort of interested in in your values in the water. Like you already mentioned that you have a hard time with people in the water. There's a limited resource. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm maybe I'm misstating the, that. I don't mean that you have a hard time, but but this concept well, of sharing. Well, I think everybody that, does, right? Maybe. You know, I think there's some people that don't, and that surprises me. But I would agree that a majority of surfers are like, hey, man, when I'm in the water, I'm a selfish fiend. Uh, Do you, would you, yeah. Is that a fair characterization of you in the water, or is um, that too harsh? I Yeah, I don't um, – I mean, <laughs> if I'm doing my own report card here, I'd say I get, you know, a B. I'm kind of average guy. I'm not – you know, if yeah. it's my turn, I'll definitely go. But, um, you know, uh, as long as I'm, you know, writing a review, I'm going to kind of polish it a little bit here. Um, I was, I have found myself experimenting. Um, you know, now I'm surfing Rincon a lot and uh, more, I guess. I, I just, I kind of have a hesitation because there's, you know, there's people that are from a place and there's people that move to a place. And, yeah. I, and to me, that's important. That's a distinction. So that's a value. That's a surfing That is a value. value. It, yeah. For sure, that's a value. Yeah. And so um, I have been welcomed by that community. Um, yeah. Everyone seems to me to be very cool to me. And, yeah. and I have a spot in the lineup, it feels like. Yeah. That said, there are people who are older than me, who have been there longer than me, and... Uh, are from there and I just kind of tacitly I'm not going to back paddle them right. I'm not going right. to um, and so uh, I was making a joke of kind of polishing them up polishing up my own report here um, there was a session towards the end of the winter good day um, they were mixed up the good ones were in with kind of weaker windswell ones but there were still some some proper waves and I came up over a bump and there was a, um, uh, a lady who surfs there and and she's in that category. She's from there. You know, she is a Rincon local. Mm-hmm. And uh, this thing, and I was right in the spot. We went over the little hump of the wave. It, like, was right to me. And I just, 
I just didn't need to be the guy who's been living in town for seven or eight years, whatever, you know, who like got another one, you know? Yeah. So I just kind of like, I just, just made this hand gesture. I'm making yeah. a hand gesture right now. Like, please go, you know? Yeah. And she's, and she surfed so beautifully. So that yeah. wave was well served. The whole thing was like, it just, yeah. it was right. And you know, whatever, maybe I would have gotten another roundhouse cut back, you know, yeah. notched on my bedpost or something. But, um, yeah. It just, it felt good. You know, right. it feels right sometimes. Right. You know, other times um, it'll be so dang crowded that I have a hard time coming up with any at all, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that, that doesn't seem right either because I've been yeah. doing this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> right. Um, so you're the son of a lifeguard, as you mentioned. Um, you've been surfing for a very long time. Out of high school, out of high school, New, Newport High School, Newport Harbor? Yep, Newport Harbor High School. Um, you joined the U.S. Navy. I did, you know, and uh, you asked me about Newport, and um, nothing bad happened to me, but I was intensely and maybe more made made myself more aware than I needed to be, but I felt uh, intensely this kind of social thing in Newport that, um, I wasn't really part of, I mean, going, going to high school, you know, I went to Kagers and, you know, parties and bands and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's not a euphemism, but I also knew that there was a lot of cocaine going on in the town. And as I said, I wasn't really my thing. I tried it one time with a buddy and it got weird. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be part of it. Um, but I didn't see a place for myself in it. Um, my, my mom and dad, you know, they were apart from the time I was real little. And, uh, so it wasn't just like hang at my mom's and go to junior college and figure it out. That was not comfortable. And just, you know, being the fourth roommate down in the party scene, right down in the beach. Wasn't, I just felt like that scene was going to chew me up and spit me out. And then, uh, uh, I also had a naive and romantic idea about what being in the Navy would be about. Um, I remember Aki, I think in between, you know, he took his hiatus and had, had a bit of a dark time. And I read in a magazine somewhere and I, you know, I don't know Aki, so I'm not trying to, you know, claim his story, but it hit me. I read it in a magazine and he said to someone, ah, you know, I want to be done with it and just go be a laborer. You know, and I think the idea was to just be honest, just go, it's straightforward. You go, you do the thing. You're in the Navy, do the work, get out. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to kind of work the system. You don't have to win. You just do it and it just strips it down. You know, it did all those things. It did all those things. And in retrospect, it was good for me, Um, but it was hard. Yeah, it was hard to have walked away from. I wasn't the best guy by any means. Yeah. Um, I've got kind of a Mark Richards build with less ta- way, obviously less talent. So I've kind yeah. of, you know, I can be gangly in my, you know, yeah, in my surfing, but I can also kind of get some poetry going too, if I say so myself. But uh, but so you had some foresight. Yeah, to just, not hang out in the Newport it party scene. It wasn't going to work. Frankly, for me. there's guys that are either still in that or in jail or dead. All three, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Re- a moment of clarity. It took five years of being in the Navy. Um, so I got out of the Navy. I came home, and 
course, I went went down first night, first day home, went down to 54th Street to check the waves. And it was as if I had taken the pause button off uh, the show. And the same crew down there checking the waves. What's up, Beamish? Wow, you're back. Wow, cool. I, it just blew me away. I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, five years. Yeah. Five years. Like they're still doing the same old thing. Same old thing. I mean, Newport expanded. gets good. Well, yeah. But, but I mean, it's kind of hard to leave too, I guess. I guess. Cute chicks, good waves, party scene, 20 years old. Why not hang out? Yeah. And where are you going to go anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're just going to end up back here now. But you had the foresight to join the Navy, right? Because for whatever reason, you're like, this isn't for me. And some of it, as you mentioned, had to do with sort of your options. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and you, you, you went to Guam and, and it says here that you went to the Philippines. You had some travels, right? You went to Cape Verde, mm-hmm. Cabo Verde, mm-hmm. to Spain. And, um, and somehow or another, you got permission to sneak a double board bag onto the naval ship as, as tools, right? So how hard was it for you to, to finagle those boards onto the ship? You know, uh, actually... I was uh, I was in the construction branch of the Navy, the Seabees. So we would go everywhere on on uh, planes, jet airplane, jet aircraft. But we would load gear on. So I would find out who uh, the title of the position was, who was the embarkation chief, the chief petty officer in charge of loading up all that stuff. And I would approach him and I'd say, you know, uh, hey, Chief Smith, I wonder, um, can I volunteer to help to help with the embark and heck yeah you know yeah you can do that and uh and just kind of would say so i got these board bags not heavy but uh i want to put them in the back of the you know i want to put them in with the crates and just so you had a plan oh yeah because you're an extremely smart surfer that to me it seems like you you're thank you you've got a plan you know what i mean and so what was your plan for my wife i'm extremely smart sweetheart (laughs) what happens what what's plan B if the embarkation chief is like no you can't take those but go get that other heavy stuff over there yeah right did right. you have a plan no B? I did not have a plan B I just kind of had to had to hope for the best and most of the time it worked out the time that it didn't work out was um, was actually in Cape Verde in, in Cabo Verde um, because we were our own unit a naval mobile construction unit. Um, we were guests on board an amphibious ship leaving from the East coast from Norfolk over to to Cape Verde. And, um, we had to do these kind of like a flight from Mississippi to, to Norfolk on a small regional airplane. It just, it was kind of like grab a bag and go on the, you know, you're lucky. I was on an eight man detachment, which was already kind of a cool, cool duty under the U S embassy. So it was already a cool mission. I knew there was going to be waves but I also knew that it just, it kind of wasn't, I just didn't even ask on that one. I just, being the guest and moving with the little knapsack, I wasn't going to be able to also like, hey, I'm here yeah. with my, you know, pool toys. Like, it, it wasn't going to work out. So fast forward to Cape Verde. Um, sure enough, um, well, I mean, the surfing world already knows there's there's waves in Cape Verde. Um, I'm not going to say exactly the combination and the side of the island and where and which island and this and that because there is. I saw trestles like waves there. Oh, I sailed into Cape Verde. Oh, did you? Yeah. Wow. And we stayed for a few days in the harbor there or wherever we were. 
and uh, uh, without Neiman the heart. I don't even is, remember is big, big stone stone. Super K third Quay. world. Oh yeah. Super dry, Shanty. arid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's that trestles cobblestone. When we heat. went around and started to go across the Atlantic towards Barbados, I was just eyeing these insane. No oh. one around. Like I don't even know if you could get to them. So so there 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 was this setup that came to life. This this swell came up, and this thing looked like Honolulu Bay. It was just smoking right-hander, like 12 feet proper, you know. Like the Hawaiians would probably say, yeah, 10 feet, but thick, you yeah. know. And uh, and there wasn't a surfboard around. There wasn't anything. I did bring a pair of flippers, and I was, like, pulling into body surf cylinders, but you weren't going to body surf these waves. Like, yeah. this was on the fisherman's beach where it's just kind of going inside out. And so that was kind of rad. The fishermen cool. were definitely <laughs> tripping out on that program too. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, you, so that was the time I didn't get to surf, but I right. did, um, I didn't get, to, didn't have like the daily surf full on program in yeah. the Navy yeah. for obvious reasons. But um, I got into a lot of really cool stuff in a lot of other places. Yeah, what was it? What was your recon like? Because I imagine knowing you as I do, I can see you just scouting, pouring through, combing through charts and maps and stuff. Like, is that what happened when you went to the Philippines? Where you're like, dude, yeah. Or I, I mean, some of those spots you knew about, but I imagine talk no, me was, through that. Uh, the recon. It's fun, uh, it's fun to, to think about because, um, of course, if if you were in the same situation now, if you know, there's five websites that would probably tell you. And, but even if they didn't, you'd have, you know, Google Earth. And there's a lot more information, right? But I just knew, like, basic combinations of elements, you know, uh, islands and reefs in a tropical <laughs> region with typhoons passing by. You know, we all know what this means. Yeah. Um, so one thing I would do, um, the Navy had excellent, you know, um, Monk figured out the right the um, weather forecasting systems for the U.S. Navy, and we would have those documents. That they kind of drop a book on each week, like this is what's happening in the theater, and mm -hmm. you have access to that. And so I would see what the swells were doing, and then as you said, yeah, it was just nautical charts, and um, you know, talk to the local Filipino guy, Filipino guy, and say, hey, you know, can you take me out in your outrigger? Buck, 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 out out around this point, and let's, would you pay let's that guy? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. And these know, these charts, these 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 weather um, <clears throat> briefs mm -hmm. that were that were dropped on you, did the were they talking to you about like the period of the swell, or was it like just large swell expected, or was it like twenty two seconds, uh, eighteen seconds from one hundred and eighty degrees? Yeah, it was it was um, definitely it was uh, the height of the swell, you know, eight to twelve foot swell from the northwest and some some degrees and i can't recall um and i suspect maybe they didn't get into the um period yeah and uh i don't know how in that situation how much that would have informed the decisions i was making anyway you know because yeah. if you don't know what the stretch of coastline has to offer yeah you can guess like okay well i'm dealing with a you know north swell let's say and um you know here's the here's the yeah the exposed coast Let's just go see what it's right. doing. You know? So there's a lot of let's go see. Yeah. And, and so I guess you had days off when you would do this, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a lot. Like, like one day job. at a time or two yeah. days at a time? Yeah, or? oftentimes weekends, weekends um, yeah. uh, you know, which is always kind of like. 
And you're you know, on the boat, or are you now? No, you're, you've, so, so I was, as a CB, you're on land yeah, building bridges. That was and kind shit. of the coolest thing. I think a lot of guys um, end up in the Navy, and yeah, you're on the ocean. But what good does it do you if you're on a on a battleship? You know, in the middle of the Pacific, you're not surfing. Yeah. But if you're a Navy worker, you're going to be on a Navy base, which is obviously on the coast. So, it's, did you know you that know, going in, where you're like, Seabees is the best chance for me to surf? No, I wasn't that. No, I was more like, you know, I'm going to adventure, you know, labor, yeah, or whatever. Just kind of go, go be in the military and right. see what, it, see where it takes me, and right. hopefully, I can, you know, do some surfing too. Right. Um, but I think, you know, looking back, um, it was about the surfiest arrangement I could right. I could have had. So um, there was a really great confluence of things that, that yeah. affected where you were at and they were all to your benefit. It was just just really blind luck, you know. I mean on you could look at on the other hand, um there's two I don't know how they have it now, but in my day they uh they had two home ports. One in Port Wainimi. We know that zone is insane right down the road from where I'm living now. Yeah. Um and that's where I went through my initial training. I was a steel worker. I mean it's like well, I'll talk, I was a skinny little guy. Um, that was the other thing too. I was really late kind of physically maturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I'm a slender guy anyway, but I went into the Navy. I was 5'11 and 155 pounds uh, with a good case of acne. And uh, I came out of the Navy in my current dimensions, which are yeah. a little under 6'4 and 183. Still slender, but you know, yeah. I grew into to the man that I am. So um, I was you know, gangly and awkward. Uh, I wanted to be in California naturally, um, but they wouldn't hear of it. So I was sent to Gulfport, Mississippi, which I was like, Oh my God, six months in Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, you know, what am I doing? But I, I always, I kind of laugh. Uh, Sterling Spencer makes a go of it over there in uh, Pensacola, Florida, right? He's right in that little zone. And I would jam over there and surf little sugar powder, sugar beach break waves, kind of a lot like Newport. It was warm and that was kind of rad. And mm. um, and then also I got to know people in New Orleans. I was a kid from Newport Beach. And I mean, I like hung out with uh, the dude who was married to Aaron Neville's sister and like hung out in the Ninth Ward and you know, like got some culture, got some new Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I kind of, I knew I was amongst it, you know, when you you like, you feel something, there's a lot of surfing and everything, you know, feel when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. More authentic than Newport? Did you sense You know, I'm, it's funny. Uh, I grapple with this authentic thing. Yes, it did in, in the shorthand. And that was also what what led me to join the Navy. I thought that's going to be real because this kind of like South Coast Plaza, just the, uh, you know, kind of garish display of wealth, all of the, all these stereotypes that are that are rooted in, in truth um, really turned me off. I just kind of wanted some some natural world, which is like, what natural world? You join the Navy? Well, yeah, but also needed to do something. And so it was just a mishmash of confusion. And I picked a line and followed it, I guess, yeah. you know. You think that if you were to find authentic culture in South Orange County, where does it reside? Um, I think that, you know, the way that the guys love their town in Laguna. Um, you know, they've got that kind of beach boy vibe. They're diving the reef and skimboarding and body surfing and surfing. It's kind of like, um, you know, Laguna seems like a special place. And I think uh, San Clemente as well, kind of rough around the edges, a little bit of a Hessian vibe, you know, like mm-hmm. speed metal, <laughs> I think of it, you know, but, um, yeah. you know, I love that that scene i mean but these are broad strokes right you know there's a lot going on there there's you know um the long brothers and there's there's culture and 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 i think there's there's culture and uh authenticity everywhere i think it's a mistake to write a place off you know because you can't you know the kids are going to listen to pop music you know that's like i don't know things you know, people are going to be on their cell phone. You can't write the whole damn thing off. We're still living human beings and the world still functions unto its own laws, even if we're starting to mess with that in, a, in an environmental sort of way, you know, yeah. with the impacts of our presence on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. A very quick interruption in the podcast to tell you about the boardsource.com premium, hard to find exclusive high quality used surfboards. And they have a few new ones as well. Check them out. Theboardsource.com. Their website is updated daily. Go there today. Froth out. Theboardsource.com. And now back to the podcast. So what were the best waves you got when you were in the Navy? Uh, I got really good waves in the Philippines um, at this weird little cove. Um, I'll just name it. It's, it's called Ang Nuangan, <laughs> and it got changed. I went back to the Philippines when I got out of the Navy. Um, and I went down and surfed Cloud 9, and that was before it was called Cloud 9. We were there, my buddy and I were there for uh, 
geez, more than a month and didn't see it. That we did see one other Westerner, this Italian dude who was traveling, and that was it. No surfers, nothing like riding the tube. It was insane. Really? Um, but in the Navy, um, yeah, this crazy, uh, you know, uh, outrigger canoe ride up the coast to, to this deep, deep bay with an outer reef and a left, a bowling kind of um, good pocket. Not not a top to bottom tube, but just big arcing arcing cutbacks. And um, uh, and in Spain, I got really good waves um, on the north coast of Spain. Not not even like Mundaka, um, but uh, another like Puerto Vigo, uh, kind of west of. Um, uh, Jeez, why am I spacing the name of that neat little city there? Santander, is that the city? Um, there's a beach. Jeez. All right. I'm so American, well, you- I can't remember. You know, over there in Spain. <laughs> no, but uh, west of Mundaka, just cool, um, kind of like Big Sur. Yeah. Um, just wedgy, cool beach break waves. Really yeah. fun. Um, and the Canary Islands? And the never went to the, to the Canaries. Oh. Um, and then where else did I get good waves? Oh, in, in Guam. Guam. Yeah. Killer waves in Guam. Yeah. Um, can be. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned after the Navy, you got out of the Navy, you, you were honorably discharged from the Navy, and you're yeah. like, you know what? It's time to set out on another adventure. So tell me a little bit about the, those surf adventures. Um, yeah, that was uh, interesting. I um I went off to the Navy, and uh, my best friend, still my best friend to this day, uh, Dave Misterly, stayed in Newport working in bars and putting away money, living with his parents, and he managed it all right, you know? Um, I think in a way that he was able to kind of inhabit that world and not let it take him down. I mean, I don't think I necessarily would have taken it down. I just didn't see it feeding me. I just didn't see it bringing me any place I wanted to go. Anyway, all that to say... I had some money, he had some money, and we bought these Circle the Pacific fares uh, tickets. Um, first stop, Philippines, and we gave ourselves six weeks there. Next stop, Bali, we gave ourselves two months in Indonesia, and then uh, Western Australia for a month, and New Zealand for uh, six weeks. And And I just kind of tried to plot it out with what I thought the surf seasons would be, but it was a little bit locked in, you know? It's yeah. like, okay, now it's time we're here we got the plane ticket. I wasn't that savvy of a traveler, really. Right. You know, I had been a lot of places, but it was kind of on Uncle Sam, you know, like show yeah. up here and be on this thing. Show up here. They take you with them. You're in it. Um, so I didn't, you know, I wasn't really hip to, oh, change the ticket or stay or go, you know. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, I met a really neat guy, Richard Dancy. Um, wonderful, wonderful guy. Originally from uh, New Zealand, had lived in... Uh, in the gold, that surfed, I think, Burley and Kira. He gave me, I bought from him, uh, a Brothers Nielsen single fin. Um, the thing was insane. It was total Michael Peterson approved. Red single fin, glassed in, 7.4, um, thick rails. It was just a, a bitchin' board. Um, it got nicked from me along the way. I wish I had that. You know, the boards we wish we still had, right? Um he hipped us to um, Cloud Nine, and so we went to the village of General Luna, and he even on a napkin classic surf thing, you know, go to this place, figure out how to get to General Luna. When you get to General Luna, talk to the Lady Pilar, and she'll, 
you know, set you up with a little palapa. And so we did all that. Her cooking was insane. We didn't even know where the wave was. We showed up and it's, it's a lagoon right there in General Luna. And uh, there was a little fringing reef and maybe a little, a little whitewater capping, but we both kind of looked at each other like far, far into the world. And where's the waves? Everything but the waves. So we start, we start walking down the, the beach um, just to the south. I don't know why we chose to go that way. Well, it seemed like the south with that. I guess to the north, we were on the other end of the Pacific. We were looking out at the Pacific on the east coast of the Philippines. So yeah, we were going north, but it just seemed like the way to go. So we kind of trudged along the beach with our surfboards, kind of our spirits dropping. There's no waves. And then we round the point about 30 minutes later and, and it's this beautiful, sweet, sweeping little bay. And I just see this little gurgle, like, that, that kind of goes along the reef. And I wasn't, like, fist pumping. I was like, huh, what's that? There's some movement right there anyway. And so I decided, oh, what the hell, let's, let's jump off the backside of the reef and paddle down to this thing. So that's what we did. And it was only, like, waist high, but it was going, it was going sub sub you know sea surface like just bubbling into these grinding little things and we were like wow that's insane and like getting little tube rides like you know total knock kneed glued to the deck little bubbles across and we were thinking well at least we can say we surfed in the philippines you know not knowing that that's the wave and uh and we just kept doing that program until finally we figured out, oh, you can cut through the jungle. You can cut through this other little village. You can cut through the forest. And it's a shorter walk. And so that was just our routine. We'd show up. And I can't remember what day of the trip it was, but it was like it was waist high and then it was chest high. And then there was the day. And it was like double overhead and just on, you know. And that wave is insane, you know. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So Is, is that one of the moments in your life that from a surfer standpoint, you were like, that might be the best, most idyllic yeah. surf scenario that I've ever experienced. Yeah. Just in, sure, in terms of, it, Cause it being, sounds like Bruce's beauties. It sounds like a scene out of endless summer where you walk down the beach with Mike Henson and he points and goes, what is that? Oh, the tide's yeah. dropping all of a sudden. And all of a these sudden, perfect waves just start showing up. It was, it was kind of, it was almost like the, uh, the 3d picture thing where you stare at it and then it, and then the depth of it develops and it took a, you know, probably a a good week for us to kind of sort it all out and and see what was happening. And again, we were totally traveling blind in terms of what was happening in the, in the ocean. This lady Pilar kind of go, look, you go over this way. Like this is where your other buddy went. Uh, she must've, yeah, she must've, but I don't really recall. Um, I guess it's 92. I don't know. Um, but, uh, um, yeah. Uh, so there's that definitely highlight just in terms of like being there for a month and it was just us. Yeah. And then I think, you know, I had 10 grand in the bank. I probably could have bought a place and, you know, been the guy or whatever, but I'm not, you know, about Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. I know (laughs) gold or whatever. I just, you know, well, interesting. But that's an, another thing. Maybe that's a whole other episode of the podcast. But um, uh, I don't know. Being a foreigner and buying up somebody else's place, I always that leaves a funny taste to my mouth. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. That that, that is, you know, it, I guess it sort of depends on 
hegemony, you know, like how, right. like if you buy it, how much are you going to now import like Playboy magazines, you know, whatever other Western anomaly that you're going to drop on that culture, mm-hmm. you know, so it's sort of about how much are you respecting it? I don't know. It's not for me to say either, really, but that's yeah. a deep conversation about the, the footprint that we leave behind or that we stay, if we stay, you know, what kind of yeah. footprint? You know, on the other hand, um, I think there's a bunch of ripping young Filipino surfers now. And when I was there, they were fishermen's sons and daughters. There, there, was, there would be some surfers that would say, oh, that's a bad thing. Do you think? Uh, I don't think that. I'm just saying that I think when we talk about values, there's some surfers that are be like, and I've, I've even heard Australians say, like, don't, don't give the Indo kids any boards. It will yeah. be a hell here in right. two decades. Right. We won't yeah. be able to get any waves. Yeah. Now, you know, you know that horrible just, comment about, you know, the Indians and rifles, you know, obviously how loaded a phrase like that is. But that's the, still the concept, right? Yeah. But, yeah, I definitely don't agree with that. Even if the Indo kids are going to surf circles around me, guess what? I just feel like they're Indo kids. They ought to be amongst their waves. You Absolutely. Know? Um, and hopefully we could visit and there would be a kind of world in which that's the best thing. I know you've experienced it where you, you travel somewhere, you go somewhere, the other side of the world and you meet people and they're totally different and you connect and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think surfing can give us that, especially if we, you know, uh, strive for that Dukahanamoku sort of ambassador, like we're surfers. That's what I've always liked about, um, Sam George, he seems to embody that to me. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this from, from a sort of like a cultural footprint standpoint. Mm. If we go to a place that doesn't know anything about surfing and we go there with our boards and then we leave behind boards to us, that seems like a really great thing, an act of goodwill. We're passing along this thing that brings you and I so much right. joy. We're giving it to this village, to these kids. Uh huh. Isn't that just as bad as tr- leaving behind a box of Playboys or leaving, you know, like who are we to say this thing that we love so much is going to improve your life? Yeah. That's real Western of us to sort of do that, you know, even though it it seems like the right thing to do. And I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just asking you to explore that. Uh Uh-huh. You know, I I haven't. Maybe the kid becomes a surf punk and he doesn't farm the farm with his dad and the family, you know. Yeah, the, the parents I wonder that, are probably going. Why'd you leave the board with my kid? Yeah. I can't get him to do what he's been <laughs> he doing for generations of my family. That- yeah, right. You no, know, I, 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 I could see that. Um, my, my first, uh, you know, first glance at it is that, uh, is that it's you know, it's not like you're you know bringing meth or something. You know what I mean? It's like even if you know, even if Johnny spins six hours a day surfing when he should be in the field. I don't know. I just think it's, why'd you a, call him Johnny? Uh, <laughs> cult, get, cultural imperialism. First, come on. No, let's get real deep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing and it, it's, I like talking about it cause I think it's fascinating. Yeah, no, I do too. I mean, it's definitely, you know, worth thinking about. I, I think the larger issue to me is not so much whether a village kid in say, you know, remote West Africa, um, gets a surfboard. It's more, does, does the surf industry set up in his village and transform a traditional way of life into 
sportswear and some attendant attitude that's hard to put our fingers on that's at once enticing you kind of want to be part the surf industry is well i would suggest to you that the dropping a board off is the, is the seed start, is the seed for sure and so in that regard it could be construed as wrong if yeah. we don't want to leave a western footprint. like if you're gonna do if you're in for a penny in for a pound yes. right so it starts with the surfboard yeah. next thing you know you got the surf because what we're yeah. assuming you and i we're assuming that this thing is given us so much joy uh-huh. that it's bound to give this other community joy or this person and they did and duke kahanamoku would want us to share the love of the ocean and this right. love that we have of riding waves that's definitely what duke would want share the spirit of aloha so that just seems so natural and so right yeah but it's also through the prism of our own western culture i wonder what duke kahanamoku would say about uh I don't want to like, it's so easy to go the surf industry, you know, like, come on, like surf industries, you and me, we're trying to sell some surfboards or do some trunks. I mean, sustainability, all these issues, there's lots of things to talk about the surf industry, but I'm talking about capitalism and um, marketing ideas and bending behaviors on, on, a, on, a, on an economic agenda, I think that stuff is troubling. And maybe that's what gets to the core of your idea of you give them the surfboard, it leads to this, this whole other thing that is, that is attached to the matrix of, of well, what's, em- emotion and... Uh, Ideas and identities, these things that are that are seemingly ineffable, but they change behaviors and attitudes. And there's something that I think we are right to be very suspicious about yeah. all that. It's like that movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, where the Coke bottle drops from the sky. Right. Here's what's another thing that we can think about in this regard, and that is... Um, it's one thing if we leave the surfboard behind... And we're like, hey, here. It's another thing if the kid had seen you ride waves and was standing on the beach and was like, wow, this is pretty cool what these guys, these, these white dudes are doing. Mm-hmm. And you can see that this kid's interested. And you're like, you know what? I'll sell you the board. Because, and this speaks to the capitalism thing you were mm-hmm. thinking about. I'm just thinking about free markets. Like there's a need. This kid has something that you want. You've got a commodity he wants. I'll sell it to you. Is it better to sell it? than it is to give it because to give it means you're sort of, there's something behind the give. There's like this, yeah. we want to, we, we're trying to impress our culture on you. If it's a sell, it's like, yeah, okay, I'll sell to you, whatever, do with it what you will. I don't care. I got my part of the transaction. I'm yeah. out of here. Mm-hmm. You do your thing. I don't care if you break it or use it as a table in your home. Right. Because I, I guess what I'm getting at is I don't think capitalism is necessarily bad. I don't think I don't either. I don't think I know actually. you don't. I don't think that a free market is a bad thing. Like no, but it's weird. But it's all of a sudden when it's like we're giving it. Yeah, it's almost like that seems almost more evil because there's mm-hmm. something behind the give. Yeah, which is I want you to enjoy. I want you to enjoy Western culture. Right. I, there's a couple things too that it, it's funny. The more you know, the more we sort of wrestle with this idea. Um, naturally other ones uh, attached to it and and one of them is the um this idea that if the place in again let's say it's some fishing village in in west africa 
they might well <clears throat> actually speaking of of uh, Sam George didn't he find Togo or somewhere some kids and what do you know they've got slabs of wood and they've already been surfing they've been surfing you know and I love the idea and I don't know how true it is um, that you know just as ancient Polynesians were surfing you know Africans have been getting down with it too um, you know and Peruvians and whoever else around the world humans are these you know uh, aquatic apes <laughs> as it's been said uh, wasn't that Mickey Dora's idea uh, but um so maybe they have their own surf culture or whatever. I, I don't know. And the, the other thing I think anymore is that most of them, unfortunately, or I don't know if it is unfortunate. Uh, I think it is um, kind of already have cell phones. They already they're already downloading whatever, listening to yeah. to the music. I mean, that 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 genie's out of the bag. And so maybe I'm simplistic. But I mean, if some kid can have fun on on the reef out in front of his place for free go for it you know right. i guess morocco has I, i've never been but um i it seems to me from instagram from what i see is that it has and i know there there must have been guys who are you know moroccans who have been deep into it for generations now because people have been going for a long time but um i wonder what the scene is there that you know it has its distinct um culture and i even sense that its culture of um Islam, the way they live is, say, different, and it would be, right, than even in Tunisia or other other countries in Africa um, or Senegal, for that matter. Um, but my larger point is that uh, I wonder what it's like there now. The surfboards have been given, and they surf. I understand they kind of hold it down, right? There's, like, locals at Anchor Point. Anchor Point. Yeah. And as there should be. Yeah. I mean, I hope they're reasonable. <laughs> Well, it's fascinating because does that mean that, you know, that they sort of manifest the same behaviors as locals that you and I would manifest as like uh, the, the locals at Rincon or yeah. the carp guys up at the top of the point? Or, right. You know, like, and, it, and, and just so is, is that experiment, did they get that from us or is that just everyone being human beings and realizing there's only so many. Yeah. So to get yours, you kind of got to lock it down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's all of those things all at the same time. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, uh, it's, um, you know, but then that's where that, that kind of like insidious side. It's, of, it's of horrible. Surf culture. Surfers are the worst. Oh, so gnarly. I think that the, the concept that at the, at its very boiled down, sort of foundation surf culture is selfish oh and so, so nothing good comes from that and and kind of hard on family life you know that's that's a yes, babe i'm cutting sure. out for baja for a selfish, week selfish. yeah i'll see you thank you for taking care of those children you I'm get going to baja surfing. and i pull up you're giving me stink eye <laughs> yeah, right right <laughs> you're not going hey we're so glad you're here yeah right like oh you're going oh man another van shot oh another truck Surfers are the worst. Yeah, but then you can you then you end up growing down, and you know, and you find something. <laughs> um, hey, you know what though? On that, I'm I'm sure there's there's more to move on to. But I wanted to. I had an experience in Tahiti um, at Big Pass. Hold that thought for just. So yeah, you you had an experience at uh, Big Pass in Tahiti. Yeah. So uh, I was down there. Uh, I was only there for a week, and actually, I was I was sick the whole time. Uh, 
actually, I was uh, visit. I was on a trip for Surfer Magazine, doing a profile of Liz Clark um, and her heroic achievements, uh, and we're surfing Big Pass, and there was about three or four, maybe five guys out, and um, it was pretty good. And skiffs would show up, and they would tie off to the buoy, and each guy that would paddle out. Before he would take his place in the lineup, he went to each and everyone already in the lineup and said, bonjour, shook hands, came up, made eye contact, and shook hands. Even me, visitor guy, mm-hmm. sitting on the channel. Um, and that just was one of those kind of cultural Is that shifts. on Huahini? Uh, no, no, it's the, on, the main on, on Tahiti, yeah, yeah down, down the way from, uh, from Chopu. And, um, and I just, you know... I, Immediately, I thought, whoa, okay, I guess that's probably not going to work at Rincon because you go say, hello, <laughs> hello, hi, hello, hi, how are you, hello, hi, 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 you know, 300 guys. But, you know what, you're going to, you know, paddle up to a guy, shake hands, make eye contact, and then go be a jerk. It just, and it was amazing. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure we can can transpose that here yeah but i try and i try and you know you know sometimes people don't want you to talk to them and i respect yeah. that too but i try and say you know i try and say hello and just acknowledge that yeah. someone's around and yeah you know for sure um so after your trips after the navy you went all around and you mentioned those places um you you got a a college degree. You used your GI Bill and you went mm-hmm. to school at Santa Cruz, right? UC yep. Santa Cruz. Yep. Creative writing. Mm-hmm. And um, and then from there, you went up to San Francisco and got... Yeah, I uh, I did. I went to San Francisco State and, and did the MA program in creative writing. I, I had finished my undergraduate and kind of, you know, worked my way through essays and sentences and read a lot and kind of, you know, had my English degree. Um, but I had a sense that if I really wanted to write, I knew I needed to work more at it. So um, I applied and was fortunate to be accepted at, at uh, San Francisco State, at their creative writing program, the MA program. Um, but what I did was got a job with the county parks. I kind of fell back. I kind of did a, almost a repeat of the Navy Seabees thing. I was a county parks worker uh, driving the truck with the big mower and mowing the fields and taking out the trash and cleaning the toilets and fixing the sprinkler heads and trimming the trees and doing whatever, fixing the broken part bench and painting graffiti and working Um, and paying for my master's degree as I went because I didn't want to, you know, double down on the student debt thing. So I did that for um, three years or so. I graduated from, uh, from college in 97 and got, got the um, MA by 2001. And this was this led you to a job at the Surfer's Journal. Uh, I think it made it easier for for Pesman and Hewlett to choose me, maybe over other candidates. They were able to say, "Well, he's got a, a master's degree." You know, I had never worked in any magazines or anything, but I had my surfing background and you know knew knew some folks. And uh, that, I'm assuming I'm assuming that that was probably as important or more important than your MA. With regards oh. to Hewlett oh, and Hasman, those guys oh. are going, look, there's a ton of guys that can write good, but I need people with experience in some of this stuff. And and certainly up to that point, your experience in life sort of, um, you know, it's sort of, it's congruent with the, the, the philosophy of the Surfer's Journal. It wasn't yeah. like you were like NSSA guy, right. you know, like you were like, 
the opposite, which uh-huh. is sort of the journal's vibe, or was then. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, the journal is so great. The way they've, uh, Pesman, that I learned via Hewlett, always talks about evolution, not revolution, in terms of the magazine. And, um, and I think that holds true with what they're doing. There are subtle changes, and it shifts, but it seems to only deepen um, and mature. I think it's a tough thing to get meaningful you know, stuff that kind of carries all the way through uh, each issue. But, man, they managed to do it. I think they've got a better batting average than just about anybody in the game, you know, as regarding that. But, uh, yeah, that was um, just an unbelievable uh, honor and opportunity to to come down and work. You know, it was funny, though. It wasn't – it was a little – I was a little ambivalent, not at all at the Surface Journal. I still have a relationship there and, um, you know, nothing but admiration – for those guys and um, appreciation. But, uh, you know, I was living a pretty groovy thing up and uh, I, I was, I mean, it wasn't going to last forever anyway, but um, I was a handyman at a lighthouse um, and I didn't pay rent, obviously didn't get paid much, but I was, you know, getting my shaping on and surfing these weird, occasionally really good reefs up there, um, in amongst the, some fangy territory, but, um, I was into it. I was into that place and, and kind of in a deep study of it almost. Um, and so to, so to pull out of that and then back down into some studio in San Clemente was a bit of a, you know, whoa, trestles, ah," you know, but even so, you know, I would go surf West reef. I'd paddle out to West reef on my big wave boards, you know, it's, three feet off the north yeah. end there, of the or, yeah, the north end of the San Clemente Pier. That can be a neat wave. It's just a big drop, really. Yeah. But, you know, you get your, you know, George sure. Downing on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, during this time is when, is when you got this idea to build the Cormorant, right, which was your boat. You built a boat. And, and that's sort of a fascinating concept in and of itself, you know, like, especially for me. I can barely hold a screwdriver in my hand. So how did that come about? Like, what was what was the impetus for that? The building of a boat. Yeah. Um, well, the lighthouse. The time I was at the lighthouse was the the seed of of that project. I uh, um, so the Pigeon Point Lighthouse is a great place, about thirty miles north of Santa Cruz. It's worth it if you're driving that coast that coastal road up to San Francisco. It's worth stopping and vibing on that place. And on the south end of of the point there is is a, a cove called Grey Whale Cove. And you know the wind up there just howls thirty knots daily, just howls. But that that lee of the point is just sheltered side offshore wind. It's like the point break that should have been, but the water is just sparkly and just I spent my time up there looking at the water I can't really account for it much more than that looking at the water and paddling into it and surfing some of those imperfect but in their way perfect waves Um, and historically the Portuguese fishermen who lived in the little town there of Pescadero um, would run their boats these sailing Latin rig sailing rigs and there's pictures of them they'd run the boats out of that cove and just something about that just caught me and there's like that's the great thing about surfing you get you're in the water you're you're in the lineup in truly in the environment in amongst it all get bit by a shark in it you know um 
but there's a way in which it stops like how far out are you going to paddle your surfboard ocean paddling is is another thing but that's not recommended in those waters but i had this idea to to kind of sail out into it deeper and deeper it keeps going it's like staring at the stars at night right the ocean and i'm not talking about sailing an 18 foot boat to hawaii but you know maybe a couple miles into the blue so to speak so that's where I got the idea. It was like this histor- this kind of fascination with the historical working and then like working California too, like California history, schooners and, and maritime way. And then, um, you know, admittedly romantic ideas of who my people might have been from the south coast of Ireland, from a little place, I'm probably not pronouncing it right, called La Herta Dali, um, on the far west county Cork, um, gray seas. And I just, all this stuff kind of, got in me and I, I just felt this this pull towards it um, and then I would go down to Santa Cruz and see friends down there or whatever have dinner and um, and I remember looking at Wooden Boat magazine and flipping through the magazine and turning to this page they have a little page in Wooden Boat where um, they show reader you know boats the guys of people who subscribe to the magazine have built and they send a photo in and so there's this photo of the corner of what would be the cormorant and i just saw it just stopped me in my tracks i was like oh my goodness and they gave the address of this guy on the isle of sky ian otrid and i wrote to him wow saw the boat this is what i want to do he um wrote me back sent this package when i eventually got the plans that this like almost calligraphy his writing this guy's in the british isles yeah Yeah. isle of sky Mm -hmm. and um and the stamp with the Queen Queen Elizabeth and just this like package from the UK, just beautifully. I mean, in and of itself, the yeah. package is just gorgeous, you know. And I open it up and spread out these twelve pages of plans, and I thought, oh man, that was a good idea, but I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Lines got half breaths and all this shit. And I couldn't figure it out. But um, but little by little, I sat with it and and kind of figured out what the first steps would be. And in amongst all that going on, I got the job at the Journal. Um, there wasn't really a place to build it anyway at the lighthouse, but the lighthouse was what I had in mind for the boat. Um, but when I got down to San Clemente, I ended up renting a studio that had a garage. I had to knock a hole in the back of the garage that went through the kitchen and uh, <laughs> put the refrigerator in the middle of the kitchen so I had enough room for the stern of the boat. The landlord was stoked on that one. Uh, I bet. And uh, yeah. And so I spent so about how big? How big was this boat? Eighteen feet. It still is eighteen. Feet. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you still own the Cormorant? I do. Yeah. Um, it lives on a trailer. What um, kind of boat is it? Like it's in a, sailing parlance. It's, vernacular. It's a Shetland Isle beach boat. Shetland Isle beach. Boat. Yeah. It's a two a, masts. Two masts. Um, it's a balanced lug sail. It just has a, a, a yard, which is you know basically a piece of wood yeah. that's at the top, and the sail hangs off of it. Right. Um, no boom. I just sail it loose footed, just uh-huh. with the sheet, which is the line that pulls the sail in, yeah. and then a triangular shaped mizzen sail, which is aft. Um, is that I just to stabilize. Uh, yeah. Um, it also really helps if you're if you're underway and the wind starts to get hairy and you have to reef the main. You have yeah. to you know make it smaller That's your engine back there, yeah you, you drop the main and kind of tie down the tiller and point it up into the wind and the mizzen will catch enough that it kind of keeps the boat bucking into the wind like a horse tied off almost and then you right. can deal with the sail and get going again that's right. 
the main use, but also it had you sailed you before? Little, Did you have any sailing? You know, knowledge gro- or experience? growing up in Newport Beach, you end up sailing sabots and lasers yeah. and stuff. But no, I wasn't really a sailor. But yeah. I'll tell you what, um, surfers take to sailing just like it's. Yeah, totally. Certain. Mickey Mignos, I love this story. He talks about um, sailing uh, transpack races and being on big catamarans and, and just surfing out in the middle and surfing on the helm, surfing the boat from one swell to another. And he could always tell the guys, you know, who would swap out who were surfers and they, yeah. they would find the lines. You know? <laughs> it's rad. That's classic. Yeah. Um, so you took the cormorant on a trip, right? And you wrote a book about it. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, I wrote Voyage of the Cormorant, and it was published by Patagonia Books in 2012. And um, it's a chronicle of a lot of these ideas that that, um, that I was talking about. Um, this, this ancestor notion I have um, yeah. that I think of as blood memory. Mm-hmm. Um, this time we're in now... The surf industry is the least of it, right? But the the screens, the the nature of our time is very new in human experience, right? We are formed of farming and sailing and work and being in the natural world. Um, you know, yeah, there's been generations of accountants and so this people living in cities sort of, too. The but spirit sort of like kind of just like poured out of you it, almost. You were like, I need to... I there was felt some it. In, yeah, there was some spirit in you that's like I need to get back to that that sort of beamish that was in West Cork. Yeah, I I I need to. Yeah, I want to I want to feel this, you know. And and how how can I how can I go deep with it? Um, well, I can only go. I mean, I think I could have done it just as well farming, honestly. Um, but you're it's, just, it's just a little less exciting. Um, <laughs> um, and so my idea was big ocean, little boat, remote coastline and, uh, you know, take it as it comes. And, um, it was definitely all that. Yeah. Um, so how much did the boat cost you to make and what kind of wood did you make it? You out know, of? I, I could have kept better records. Um, but I estimate it cost me about. You know, in the scheme of things, for a boat, not much more than three or four grand. Yeah. Really? Um, uh, and, and the thing is, you don't have to lay it. You don't got to cut a check for three grand. You, you know, go time. up and, yeah, yeah, go up and get get enough wood for the next step, you yeah. know, get cashed up and go and was get it, more. And, and so were you bending wood and, and like, well, um, was it like... Um, Tra- uh, like was it like seam? Like- it's bu- you. Uh, you built the technique I used. It's a. Uh, the design is a lap strake design. I d- I describe it to surfers as an eighteen foot, uh, twelve channel bottom pintail. That's the that's the design of wow. the boat. Um, the lap strakes like channels. Uh-huh. Like each each plank kind of steps in, uh-huh. la- lays inside the other. But I built it out of very modern materials marine plywood the same like we you know Gephardt makes our fins yeah plywood um so not at all traditional i've even been to like traditional boat shows and the like 
real air quote real boat builders kind of look and they're like oh nice prius you know <laughs> you had a classic car show you know yours, it's like, is, a, yours is a hugo maybe not yeah, even a prius <laughs> right. yeah yeah no offense i mean Christian, no was, but um they're like laughing at your boat is what you're saying yeah but, i mean not even Sneaker. laughing at they're, they're you know they're not surfers so they're they're nice um right. yeah, um no but they they just weren't very interested in it you know and the craftsmanship was probably medium okay you know yeah. I'm, a, I'm a pretty good i learned how to build so do you have to do you have to like Navy. mix like black char and stuff like i mean how- uh no it's not it's not all that romantic you just gotta mix up epoxy and uh i used fiberglass uh fin rope for the lands to uh-huh. kind of give it a little more rigidity um but epoxy and um and drywall screws that kind of serve as clamps so that so you build the boat upside down and there's molds not not a mold of the whole boat but cross sections of the boat mm-hmm. um and those are laid out for you on the plans so you lay out the plans on a sheet of plywood take the edge of a nail and just like laying out it's a surfboard template right you make gotcha. one one curve flip it over make the mirror side curve mm-hmm. and then and then cut it out and then set that up vertically embrace it on um on like basically it would look like the uh a deck of the frame for a deck and then over that you bend the plywood and you have to make angles you have to they're called scarf it's called scarfing yeah kind of make an angle on one plank and a and a matching angle on the other and bring them together and the two faces meet and you glue them together and then um it's a very pleasing uh looking boat um but it's not at all traditional the idea was though i mean by the same measure though it's it's not a plastic kayak either you know it's uh it's got that feel and that give of wood and uh and it's you know you're going by sail and oar, and so it is very much in the old way what was the hardest part of building that boat was it like putting the mast in or or like, what was the part where you're like, holy mackerel, I yeah. may have gotten in. Like, can I do this? Was it, Or maybe there wasn't a time like that. You know, it seemed like th- there were there were definitely steps that would be two or three moves down the line that I would think, gosh, how am I going to do that? I'm not sure. But invariably, it seemed that by the time I would get to the step, I was ready for the step. There's something very poetic in the whole thing. I think you learn as you go and you have enough knowledge to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and as I said, I mean, it's not, it's, if I say so myself, it's a beautiful boat. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's perfect by any means, yeah. you know, uh, maybe but, that's even some it's of its just, And it's an open boat. So the listeners know it's, it's, there's no, um, like galley or there's no, 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 I put my gear in dry bags and, uh, uh, you know, wore a hat and would try and wrap up as best I can. You can, uh, our listeners can't see, but you can, I'm getting these little skin cancers burned off me. I think that's as much from 54th street as it was yeah. from Salem Baja. But, yeah. um, anyway, so I'm, an, you- I'm an Irishman in the, in the sagebrush desert of California. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, where, which port did you leave from and where did you go? Um, so I left from San Diego and on new year's day, 2009, and um, kind of hopscotched down the coast of Baja. My intention was to go to Mag Bay. I never intended to go all the way to Cabo. I wanted to go to Mag Bay, um, hitting all the all the spots along the way. Um, That's a bit of a downwind run, isn't it? Yeah, it's 
Com- coming all, back must have all been all down. Well, coming back, I'll, I'll tell you is, uh, um, or maybe, maybe uh, buy the book Voyage of the Cormorant, <laughs> yeah. Voyage of the Cormorant dot com, um, right. <laughs> or you know, Amazon or whoever, Patagonia for that matter. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about getting back. There wouldn't have been coming back in in that boat. Yeah. Um, maybe I guess it would have been. It was arduous going down. It would have been a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. Degrees exponentially harder yeah. coming back up. I don't yeah. know if someone could do it. I don't think I'm the guy to do it. Yeah. But what ended up happening though was, um, you know, after about sixty-five days on the sea and in the desert, um, I really started to. Uh, succumb to exposure and fatigue. And um, I made a decision that I think in retrospect wasn't the right one. Um, Right as I started to get down into the Seven Sisters zone, um, I was concerned about Punta Eugenia, the big fish hook. You know, if you think of the map of Baja, about halfway down the peninsula, Punta Eugenia comes out like a fish hook. And uh, at the top of that bay, I didn't want to get down in the, in the catcher's mitt, so to speak down in the corner of the bay and have to work back up. Right. You you needed to go way out. Yeah. I wanted to go way out and around. And I saw on the chart, there was a village at the, at the, um, on the Island of Cedros, Mm -hmm. huge Island, 55. Five miles across the open ocean. I don't know what I was thinking. I just did this mental leap like, yeah. well, I'll just sail over there. But like, I would never have considered sailing, let's say, when I was doing shakedown cruises and learning how to use the boat. I never would have crossed my mind to sail to San Clemente Island, which is also 55 miles off the coast. Right. But for some reason in remote Baja, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just sail out to the island. And I also jumped up across the 25 mile length of the island that if I land on the north coast, I still got to go 20 miles down or more yeah. to get to the village to resupply. I'll be on the outside of Punta Eugenia though. So I guess I made those mental leaps and I waited for, and I was out of any weather forecast. I just kind of looked at the sky and did my best oh my kind of shaman no. roll the dice, you know, like <laughs> I think it's time to go, you know? And then, uh, but you know what's funny? Intuition is real. And um, I think you put yourself in situations. Um, you have to prepare. You can't just drop yourself into something extreme, but you acclimate. And um, and your intuition is – there's more. Yeah. There's We have more awareness than it. I think we might think we do. Yeah. Um, and my plan was if it, if it went to hell halfway across or, you know, 15 miles out, I could always turn and run with it because I had run with big, horrible winds and that boat can surf. And so I was like, I was confident in the boat, but what ended up happening was it took three days to get to the village and I was out of food. I had water, but I was wrecked. And, um, and this kindly old fisherman came around the corner. I was just hanging on in this hardly an anchorage, just this cove and the guy just pulled up um Caterino Burges and uh older guy white hair 60 years old and he's like he just came up to me like a grandfather like jale su ancla like pull your anchor you cannot stay here you're coming with me like come now this is he just took one look at my scene and was like uh uh-uh. uh yeah. and he towed me back to the port with him and brought me to his house and his wife sat me down and fed me and his daughter and son-in-law 
became my friends and uh i've since gone back to visit them a couple of times with my family now and uh, that's so great yeah it was you know that was worth it maybe they were out there you know sailors are the best surfers yeah. are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> but this, you know what? When, when things go pear-shaped, though, someone kept, catches a fin in the head, people rally yeah. and help them, right? Yeah, no, someone gets really hurt, you know? Yeah. The session comes to, like at Mavs, if someone, you know, yeah. the session comes to a stop and people yeah. pipeline even, right? They'll punch your lights out on the one hand, but if you yeah. kiss the reef, I think people, yeah, you know. So this, this older couple, do you speak Spanish? Yeah. Okay. So this must have been fascinating. This is like the highlight of the, your trip in my eyes right now. Like this is, yeah, you know, like was, where there's you know there's always light at the dark you know right on the right, other end of right. the darkest. Moment. You know, there, there's another fellow um, down there. He's at um, Punta San Carlos. His name's um, uh, Aurelio um, uh, Aurelio. When it's been a few years, but uh, his name's Aurelio. He's one of the uh, one of the fishermen down there, and. He also just he was took care of me. just took care of me. Just brought me into his scene. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm, that's I'm, cool. Yeah. Were they going? What are you doing? Like, yeah, definitely. That <laughs> was that was definitely the the, the uh, repeating refrain of the trip. I would come from over the horizon into some fish camp, and the guys would go like, "They don't the eres." Like, where are you from? And I'd be like, "San Diego." <laughs> local because they know what they know what it does down there oh yeah you know and i cheese i've been you know so at this point was i mean oh because you took this romantic notion of going out and finding my sort of west cork roots right and and at some point it's not so romantic anymore no and and i'm sure that they kind of slapped that romanticism out of you a little bit too like dude you know like yeah was was that the vibe or am i getting this wrong or well you know a little bit yeah uh i mean Surfing can be kind of crazy anyway, right, yeah. on its yeah. face, especially when it gets the, the more serious the conditions. Like, why do, we, why do we do these things? Like, this sort of, you know, I've always, I don't like that idea of, like, man against the sea. I like kind of being in it or something more. Mm-hmm. I never think of it as a battle, really. Right. Right. Um, full immersion is, mm-hmm. comes to mind more. Um, but so you know, yeah, it's dangerous and probably ill-advised. Um, but so is surfing Mavs, you know? Um, so, so you manage it, you know, you, you kind of, um, think of worst case scenarios and work your way back from those. What was the, what's the number one thing that you learned Um, about yourself that I need people? How so? Um, that, uh, were you alone? not in the sense of like, oh, I miss home, but just like, just being around folks and you can only do so much. And and this is something that I'm looking forward to. I, I don't quite know how to activate it, but, you know, I tend to the solitary. I like remote places. I like my own company. I like writing. All these things are, are solitary endeavors. And that's all well and good. And I think it's maybe even a strain in the American character, you know, that rugged individual idea. Um, but, you know, people, people give you limits or like let you, you know, you come up against somebody else's in dialogue that kind of shape your world more and the you know um i didn't get a job 
after my my trip and the the lady I was interviewing, I was trying to get a job with a company that puts out um, catalogs. I just was starting a family. I needed to pull down a salary, and and she's like, "Well, we're just concerned that you've uh, spent so much time alone in your, uh, you know, in your boat travels that." And I, I kind of wanted to cut in and go, "You know, look, lady, it was you know three months by myself. I didn't go crazy, you know, just." But she, they, I think they wanted to give someone else that right. had the master's degree. I don't know what happened. But yeah. anyway, it wasn't meant to be. But my point is I didn't go cuckoo, but it just made me really appreciate um, two things. Being with people, as I've mentioned, and I guess I'm being a little mealy-mouthed about trying to explain what exactly that means. But also being in a place and staying in a place, which dovetails with the people. You know, yeah. that stuff's important. Yeah. And being alone is important too yeah. from time to time. Yeah. Because you, know, you can kind of go overboard in the whole people thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Fascinating. And, and you, at some point, you know, if we can kind of like shift a little yeah, bit, yeah, because please. I want to get into your surfing at Mavericks and this, this idea that you're building your own boards and that you're riding huge waves at Mavericks. Um, so, Tell me about the first time that you surfed Mavericks. What was that like? What were the feelings going on inside internally when you pulled into the harbor parking lot? Like, what was, what's it like to surf Mavericks for the first time? Yeah, I am, you know, for the longest time, I mean, shoot, I was in Santa Cruz. I, when I look back, like, in terms of what the scene has become, um, I think, oh man, I could have been surfing Mavs with Grant Washburn and the boys. I showed up in Santa Cruz and, early days in 93 like that was kind of like the golden era almost you know but um back then i didn't know my way around big wave guns um and i frankly didn't like the look of it i thought it was a snuff film i didn't like the way that anvil that anvil kind of lip blast i didn't see the beauty in it i just saw the horror and i was like man i'll take six foot pleasure point or my weird north coast reefs any day of the week over that yeah. stuff i'm just i had no interest yeah. um i uh i'm a buddy of danny hess's mm-hmm. and uh when i was uh, at the surfer's journal i guess it was um he got the bug and i don't know how well, he just ended up in san francisco after after um santa cruz and and he loved it he just love Mavs and he would periodically we'd talk on the phone or he came through the journal a couple times and uh him and uh and his buddy now my buddy too Lyle Carlson mm-hmm. um they were both like man y- you are gonna love that wave it is beautiful and I hadn't ever really heard it in those terms I just heard it in this sort of horror show kind of terms which it definitely earns you know um but Danny's like, hey, man, I've got a brewer gun for you. You just come up and um, we'll pick the day and you get out there. I think you're going to like it. So I took him up on his offer. And uh, he had, sure enough, he's got this beautiful 9.6 brewer blade. The thing's just drawn, looks like a weapon. And uh, and uh, we paddle out and, you know, easy enough through the, through the, um, through the lagoon and kind of got lucky through that little shore dump that can well shore dump where it hits the mushroom rock it can be kind of bad there but um Mm -hmm. punch through and we got out there um were you anxious before you when you're zipping up your wetsuit are you um what kind of anxiety no i'm just i'm trying to be oxygenated i'm taking deep long breaths (laughs) you know anticipating some underwater time Uh um but yeah i don't uh 
wasn't really feeling scared. I mean, I had surfed big waves, yeah. but not. And how big was it this day? Um, Fifteen foot, like like not just not just waking up, but not full on either. Right, right, you know, but right. there were a couple big ones in amongst it all. Yeah, um, uh, a good sized day to look, to go out for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I had no agenda. Um, no, you didn't have a one way of agenda. Uh, I guess I wanted to, but I was definitely I sat off to the side of the mm-hmm. of the pack. There was about I don't know twenty guys or so, and this would have been in uh, two thousand. 2009 I guess uh-huh. um, and uh, dodged a couple kind of paddled for my life and kind of got the heart heart rate going but I don't remember feeling terrified I, I, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't really terrified um, and I was sitting wide of the pack and, and there's a little bit of latitude at the, the peak jumps. There's the North bowl and then there's like kind of sunset beach. It'll, it'll mm-hmm. jump, it'll jump wide and you know, you can get on the, the wrong side of the peak out mm-hmm. there. So I was sitting wide of everybody and one came to me and, um, the experience of it was, it just, it was all green lights. It just lit me up as a surfer. It was like, the set of the day times 10 coming right to you. You know, it was like <laughs> this big, beautiful green peak. And I was just like, Al Chapman hey, screaming at you to yeah, go, you know, go! Like, just, I was feeling it. It was, it was no hesitation. I, I was into it. So I popped to my feet and this, this brewer guns like narrow and drawn out this design. I popped to my feet and, and I, guess i landed a little bit on the left side of the stringer i didn't like plant them and i'd never ridden the board before i didn't i didn't get a good good foot plant you know and um and i i just kind of keeled over like went down a little bit started to make the drop but windows rolling up and and hit the hit the water the wave came down on me and pushed me deep and then bent me back like letter c like i'm scorpion style but like Mm -hmm. bending back really really violently and hard and and then and then kind of then got kind of tumbled deep water but i came up and seven up fizz water you know i was like oh that wasn't so bad and i popped i got back on the board and then i felt something kind of pop in my ribs and i was like oh that that's weird you know and uh and then as when i got back out into the lineup i, I kind of pushed on it and it kind of went click click you know so mm-hmm. it turns out that i kind of messed up that cartilage to this day i've got this lump right i've got here. that same one yeah did you do your ribs? i did mine i did mine like that too. did you get a board or how'd you do no, yours? it was just a wave yeah yeah, yeah and, and it's never healed yeah, mine's any better bump. like yeah when i paddle i feel it yeah you probably i probably feel it when yeah you i have to kind of like yeah. get it tucked in and lay on it almost yeah. you know um so yeah first wave it broke my ribs yeah. um so that wasn't too auspicious but then um but i was kind of energized i kind of got one un- under the belt and then um and then i got one i got a proper one and i i just like concentrated on getting my feet right and i just rushed it just straight down and i remember getting to the bottom and kind of like leaning into the bottom turn and looking up and across the bowl and i just had never been on a wave with that scale of that scale and i was super into it i um i know i'm going real long-winded here so i want to maybe fast forward if i can to um how i decided to shape a board 
format. After that first wave, were you hooked? Were you like, oh yeah, I yeah. was like, oh this is insane. Yeah. I'm- okay, so let's talk about your boards because I'm imagining you're like, well, the, the brewer was cool and all that, but I've got different ideas. Just so, yeah, it was, uh, uh, you know. How many I mean, boards had you made up, up to this point? Like, we're talking, we're in 2009. How many reports yeah. have you shaped? So I started shaping when I moved to Santa Cruz in 95 after the Navy. And I came up in Newport. Um, I had the good fortune of watching Greg Pouch shape a lot of boards. So intellectually, I knew how it was done. I just hadn't ever actually had my hands on the tools and yeah. done it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I didn't really have any contacts in Santa Cruz and, and was kind of keen to start going in that direction anyway. So I literally, you know, George Washington under the cherry tree, he used a sure form. Everyone knows. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh you know, saw horses and it made, made this kind of Dave Palmer stub vector kind of thing mm-hmm. was my first board in 95. And then I was, you know, kind of three to five boards a year, probably not mm-hmm. very much a hobbyist, getting a college degree and maybe one for a friend or something and um, trying to figure out how to make a symmetrical outline. Um, You know, just, you got to learn the steps and it it takes a while. Um, So by 2001, you know, it's in 95 or 2000, 2009. So I don't know, 10, 15, 12. I don't know how many boards. I also haven't kept track of that, but not that many, maybe, maybe a couple hundred, few hundred, maybe that's probably generous. Um, but I was starting to get it more. To, I was starting to like the mind's eye. The finished product was beginning to resemble the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I got a lot of help from uh, Brad Basham in San Clemente just yeah. about just tips and just that crew down there. Um, Chris Kaysen, uh-huh. um, um Classic crew. Yeah. Those Clemente, guys are Basham and Kaysen. Yeah. So good. And just, yeah. you know, very helpful. Just deep knowledge of surfboards. Yeah. Terry Martin. Wow. So generous. Yeah. Rest his soul. Yeah. Um, looks like Josh is just carrying totally. on. So killer. Yeah. Um, you know, Mickey Munoz. I mean, I've had good fortune to, you know, oh, yeah. talk to the master, to the guys, you yeah. know. Um, so anyway, I, uh, yeah, I was right into, uh, I was deep into the Simmons thing following what I read and gotten to know of Richard Kinvin and, and that whole San Diego lore and Simmons. And there's a, uh, I've got a, you know, admittedly very distant connection to Simmons via my dad and, um, not even my dad directly, but my dad's best friend, um, uh, Andy Lyon, Malibu guy. Yeah. Um, his, his dad, Tim Lyon was uh, best, best buddies of my dad in their youth. In, oh, really? In LA. The and, mayor. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> that right. a classic. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's great. There's a surfer for you. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, in all senses of the word, Andy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, Bob Simmons would come and pick up Tim Lyon at at school and take him to Malibu. I mean, Bob Simmons and I just I love that about California surfing. How it's just that close. You know, yeah. it's just. It's Six vanishing. degrees of separation. Just, yeah. Um, you know, and the influences and, yeah. uh, you know, and if they don't exist, I'll, I'll manufacture them, but <laughs> you know, they're, they're there, you know? Um, and so I was really into the, the Simmons kind of glider style boards and, um, the six foot version. And I had surfed some points down in Mexico on the six foot keel fin and, and just that projection and that hold, I was just thinking, man, these things don't spin out 
they like why wouldn't they why wouldn't that hold in projection why wouldn't that transfer to the bigger to the bigger realm um i was in hawaii in 2009 i watched greg long win the eddie um from from that beautiful house that's right there at the point so i was like felt like i was in the lineup with him you know and i remember watching the day before the eddie was gnarly just just everything that's full on about Hawaii, you know, the water was brown and the river broken through. And wow, were you yeah. over there on that, no. on that, on that event? Um, it was radical. And the guys were so brave, just holding their ground and then swinging. <laughs> and then the thing, the thing's 25 feet in the face and then they, they paddle. And, and before it breaks, it does that like four or five foot yeah. jack up thing. And you yeah. got to be below that. Yeah. I mean, talk about commitment. Yeah. For all that, though, I was like, I was watching them, and they were, they were doing the Pat Curran point and shoot. I mean, not taking anything away from anybody, Pat Curran or Twiggy Baker and, and yeah. Greg Long, but they were, you know, just angling across the bowl, and and there was something that was like really Pat Curran-ish to me about that whole time, that, those those two days. So I come back. I'm working at the. Sur- Surfers or had been working in the Surfers Journal, so I'm connected with Barry Hahn. I know him real well at the Surfing Heritage. Yeah. And I went and I, um, I don't know why. I think I went over there. I had seen the Pat Curran. I remember seeing that session and going Pat Curran, Pat Curran, and wanting to go and pay a visit again to the Pat Curran gun. They got a 1957, I think, balsa mm-hmm. gun, and that plan shape. I was just like, look at that thing. It's a 107, and if you if you were to, I mean, sacrilege really, but if you were to, you wouldn't, right? But if you were to cut it off at nine, six, it would all of a sudden have a, cut the tail off. Yeah. yeah. So you keep the, you off, keep the top, top wide right. point forward, that right. beautiful kind of California gun, yeah. sort of Pat Curran, Rennie yeah. Yader school outline. Yeah. And you chop the tail off. Well, all of a sudden it's kind of like a Simmons thing, right? It's a big square block. And then you hold the show together with two keel fins, like Simon Anderson was like, oh, dis- divide the surface area of a single fin into three fins. Like that same kind of concept, but yeah. pop the pop the keels out on the rails and hold that big wide tail block together. Yeah. And uh, and so I, you know, saw those dimensions and, and made a board, you know, of, of that that shape with that concept and um, wrote it at uh, at West Reef in San Clemente. You know, just to paddle it and feel what it felt like standing up and then um and then the prototype i um i bombed up to to mavs stopped at left san clemente you know zero dark 30 like i did like i said when i came down here today um stopped at c street at first light big old winter swell paddled out at c street and just took some you know took some big old snowmobile drops you know running down the fat point waves and um just, just kind of feel it and i was like yeah man i mean it, it, it panels over there. panels over and projects and i was mm-hmm. like okay and got up there for the for the evening session or the afternoon session uh well if it was dawn shoot maybe it wasn't even that late but anyway um got out there with danny and um and john bowling a good mm-hmm. friend of danny's he was very welcoming to me uh, as well and uh man it just went like with the paddling power of the wide point forward and the the um the loft of the rails i left it very chubby and uh and gave it some edge in the aft section and with all that paddling you get in super early i like that wide stable platform and uh 
man, it was oh, great. great. Yeah. And, and then, went off and the then, bottom fine. Yeah. Panels and projects. It was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Cool. And then I did a second one that I really honed in and just kind of brought the thickness down and kind of brought the rail What's the down. one that, that's in the surf line feature where you're dropping in on that mat? That's, that one, that's, that's, that's the number two. One? That's yeah. the prototype. That one yeah. looks really or, No, cool. not the prototype. The right. second one. V, yeah. 2.0. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. And that thing just worked beautifully and so i yeah i surfed it there and then i surfed there's some you know some uh in the in the um sacred grounds up near conception there's a couple mm-hmm. couple reefs up there that yeah. on on the bigger days i've ridden it's more than probably is called for and yeah and old, older gentlemen let me know that it was more, oh, right. more <laughs> it was surfers great too worst. why was, is it surfers, even his business i know and and he paddles up to me and he goes he goes where are you from you know, and, and you know, my like, mother's womb. Yeah, he's like got the mustache and the full, you know, vaquero vibe going. Um, and where are you from? And I and I told him, I said, you're gonna love this. I'm from Newport Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, hey, no hard feelings if you're listening. You know, because I I did get some good ones on yeah. the big board. Yeah, and it felt good to be on a big board. You know, he was you don't salty. It, you know? Oh yeah, I've heard that but, they might open that region up. I've yeah. heard that the, the California parks might take over the ranch. Wow, yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think you that, know, do you think that the ranch it'll still say pristine, but they're gonna allow people to enjoy California's is is California for everyone? Yeah. Are, 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 is access to the beach for everyone? Yeah. And you or know, out of not? the one out of out of the one side of my mouth I say single payer payer healthcare, you know, like free tuition. Yeah, on the other side I say, get the hell out of here if you're not from California. You know. Um but as regards um okay, we'll just say it, the ranch. Um, you know, the thing is, if you want to surf that place, you can work it out and go surf it, you know. Uh if you you know, do the jet ski thing. I'm not a real fan, you know, but if you, you know, sort of do the Shetland Isle beach boat thing, that's approved. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. But, you know, I mean, it's yeah. not, you don't have to be, you don't have to have the kind of wealth to own a place at the ranch to surf the ranch. If right. you want to surf it, right. you can figure it out. And there's plenty of guys who have done the moonlight, you know, yeah. the moonlight run as yeah. well along the track. So, All right, right. you know, I reckon work for it and leave it closed. Right. You know, right. and, and I, probably don't support um, much of the agenda of the 1% who own property up there. Otherwise, even though some of them are lovely people, but you know, just yeah. eat the rich kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs> the salty dog that, that hassled you, so to speak. Do you yeah, think I mean, as was, far as hassling goes, it was pretty genuinely hassling, you know, right. Probably. Yeah. I don't think it gets too deep up there anymore, but yeah. I mean, I think you, yeah, you'd pretty much have to, put your face on someone's fist to get hit i think yeah except at except at the one break i think you can probably still get punched there rights and lefts why are we afraid <laughs> to say this why are we afraid to say i don't know i'm, I'm trying to be polite i guess yeah. well um we've said a lot we've done a lot yeah. we've done some good talking here today. oh i've got more scott <laughs> more in the tank <laughs> no. we might have to do version your, your 2.0 re- yeah your readers might have to uh you know commute for another week to work to hear this whole thing yeah no no this is good to- this is a good amount this is a great amount uh, i'm enjoying it yeah um, i like talking let me ask you one last question please and then we have to wrap it up all right do you believe that the polyurethane poly blank poly resin combo is the 
is the best combination for surfboards? Yes. And why is that? Because the influences that many of us, most of us draw from are from that medium. Um, I'm talking about our, you know, our patron saint, Tommy Curran, you know, that, or the list goes on, right. But he'd be Mm -hmm. right at the top of anybody's list, I would say. Um, clearly we need to be concerned about our environmental footprint, but I am not convinced that making boards out of styrofoam and epoxy, the via, the, the, the off gassing, the VOCs, is that what they're, (laughs) I should know this. Um, you know, that, that's real, that matters. So epoxy, you know, maybe, but I mean, you're not going to convince me that you're, you know, talk about not dancing around that your firewire made in Taiwan or whatever, not to mention the fact that it's been shipped back and forth over the ocean, um, is not going to end up in a landfill. It's a piece of plastic, just like any other surfboard. So in terms of the environmental impact, I mean, that's a big one, the off gassing thing. So maybe, maybe polyurethane blanks and epoxy. I haven't really experimented with it. I, I go with the old school guys in, in my zone and they mm-hmm. do beautiful work in polyurethane. And I'm with Dave Palminer who says, build them right, take care of them. They'll last a really long time. Yeah. All right. Good. That's a good way to end it with a Dave Palminer reference. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I've been dropping a few names, but they're all, they're all heroes. Well, Christian Bemis, thank you so much. Thank man. you. I really Scott enjoyed Bass. the discussion, and yeah, um, me too. And yeah, we can do it. We can do another one soon. Let's, I let's, like that. Let's circle back. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe the waves uh, light up in my part of the coast, and you come up or something. Quite possibly. All right. <laughs> we, we've seen each other up there before. <laughs> Until next time. Adios. Ladies and gentlemen, together for the first time, BB King and Bobby Blank. <laughs>
If you like what you're listening to, the Boardroom Podcast, please leave a positive review on iTunes and, of course, subscribe via iTunes or whichever podcast distribution outlet you're using. Until next time, thank you.